As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Race is on, and Max Verstappen won the 2021 Formula One World Championship with a last lap pass on Lewis Hamilton in a dramatic, controversial, and truly astonishing Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. But how did it all come to this? And could Verstappen's championship still be under threat, giving the looming possibility of an appeal? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to unravel this most remarkable of World Championship finales are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, before we get into the controversy, if we just take in isolation one thing that happened today, which is one title contender in Max Verstappen overtaking their title rival, Lewis Hamilton, to win the F1 World Championship on the last lap, this does have to go down as one of the most astonishing title deciders in F1 history, doesn't it? Yeah, if you consider Lewis had led the whole race up until that point, with just a few corners to go, um, he wasn't leading. You know, apart from the little bit of overlap where Sergio Perez hadn't pitted yet. Um, so yes, but I mean, that was just the start of it, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, the whole thing, there's a lot to get into in terms of the controversy, and we're going to talk about that at great length, but you couldn't script it, could you? And even if you did script a last lap pass to change the championship destiny, you wouldn't have scripted it in this context, so just absolutely unbelievable. And Scott, we knew something historic was going to happen in Abu Dhabi today, whatever happened, we knew there was every chance there could be some form of controversy, but could you imagine it being such a weird situation? No, absolutely not. I think uh, just the combination of circumstances mean that we always, uh, I think we hold up, or we did help, we, we held up um, Interlagos, Brazil, 2008 as the, the benchmark for a crazy Formula One title decider. I think we have a new one now. This was, um, yeah, this was just absolutely remarkable. I think we were all bracing ourselves for it ending in, it could end in the worst case scenario of going into the, the steward's room and resulting in some contentious official intervention. 
And we have had that, but not because of the two drivers clashing like we were all fearing. We've had it because of a little bit of, shall we say, race mismanagement from from the FIA. So, yeah, just this this insane season felt like it needed to have like one final bizarre twist. But yeah, no one could have created this. I think, as you said to me, Mark, when it all happened, of course this season was going to end yeah. with something like this. Yeah, yeah. In hindsight, it just seems so obvious, doesn't it? And um, older readers might remember Monty Python, and there was a sketch where they were all being very silly, as they used to do, and then somebody came on and said, right, stop the sketch. It's just too silly. It's got too silly. Stop. And I was expecting that to happen, um, you know, just as, as this, the final little twist played out. I just thought that, the, you know, it, it just had that air of ridiculousness and... Uh, yeah, I'm still struggling to get my, my head round actually what, what had just happened now. Well, we were all basically laughing as the safety car came out, weren't we? And not in a, well, hey, haha, Lewis has lost this, unlucky Mercedes, like poking fun at him, just in the, the sheer, it was just laughter out of sheer incredulity, wasn't it? Just, it just, it was just, of, co- of course. Amazement at the audacity of reality to be so absurd. And, and actually, you know, you mentioned the Monty Python thing. I think, I think Graham Chapman in Race Control would have done a better job of, uh, of doing this. He, he was a great one for lampooning authority figures. And I think probably he might have, a, have done a number on Michael Massey today, who had a difficult day and will be the topic of, of some discussion. So Scott, let's get into the big controversy. In my outline of what we're going to talk about, I've just put the words, the mess, as the top for this. So Mercedes has lodged notice of its intention to appeal the FIA stewards rejecting one of two protests it made after the race. It made one about Verstappen overtaking Hamilton before the safety car line. He did it by about an inch for a second while they're both messing around. I don't think we really need to talk about that. That wasn't really ever going to go anywhere. I don't think that was anything approaching requiring a penalty. But the one about the safety car restart procedure, a situation that arose thanks to Nicholas Latifi's late crash and a desire to get a green flag finished. So how did it play out? Well, basically, uh, the, the, safety car, the safety car was thrown, the cars queued up behind, and because Verstappen was in the position of not having to worry about forfeiting real track position, they, Red Bull obviously pit him, put him on fresh, soft tyres. Hamilton was out on his very, very worn, hard tyres because they, could, they simply couldn't risk giving away that track position. Otherwise, obviously, if Max had Max would then have stayed out, presumably taken the lead, and if the safety car had run to the end, then that would have it. They'd have thrown away the World Championship with a needless late pit stop. So that sort of set it up. And then it was a case of, right, are we going to get enough laps left to actually go racing? And in, in pitting and the fact that Lewis had been further up the road, there were then five laps cars in between Hamilton and Verstappen. So the process for this then being cleaned up is meant to be that once it's safe to do so, the message will be given for the lapped cars to overtake. All of the lapped cars will then overtake. They'll do their best to catch up to the queue, but there's no obligation, I don't believe, for them to actually be at the back of the queue for the, for the restart. Then the signal will be given for the safety car to come in, and when that's done, the safety car will come in at the end of the following lap. It's all pretty simple, right? We've been here, we've had safety cars before, nothing contentious. But this is the 2021 Formula One season and they were saving the best until last. So what happened is uh, the initial confusion was an instruction from race control that lapsed cars would not be allowed to overtake. Oh, that's quite controversial, we all thought. But I suppose if they don't think there's going to be any time to get the racing going, it kind of makes sense. No, that wasn't enough. Then another message from Race Control saying that five cars will be allowed to overtake and then you check the numbers off on screen and you realise it's the five cars between Lewis and Max. 
And that in itself, you're like, okay, well, they're just clearing the roadblock. That regulation exists to get lapped cars out of the way. That's not that controversial. That could work in isolation as well. We're still not done. So then, obviously, what happens is they then immediately give the signal, safety car in this lap. Not that it will come in at the end of the following lap. Article, I think it's 48.12 of the sporting regulations has not been completely fulfilled. We're going straight on to Article 48.13. Fast tracking the process of ending the safety car, specifically so there could be one lap of green flag racing at the very end. That was the priority. That's why there was a fast track of the regs. That's why Mercedes was so upset, because if the regs had been followed to the letter of the law, then the race would have ended under safety car. Hamilton would have won the race and been world champion. That's not what happened. Well, to quote some regulations, because nobody wants to listen to talk about racing. They want to hear about regulations. But 48.12 in the sporting regulations... The first thing that was the red that Mercedes contended rather was that all cars should be let through to overtake. The regs say any cars that have been lapped. It sort of hints it should mean all cars, but it doesn't say all. Red Bull argued any doesn't mean all. It doesn't. I don't think that's a big problem. But yeah, this one about the when you start, it says unless the clerk of the course considers the presence of the safety car is still necessary, so they can extend the safety car. Once the last lapped car has passed the leader, the safety car will return to the pits at the end of the following lap. So that's pretty unequivocal. You let cars pass the safety car one lap, the safety car comes in at the end of the next lap or later, not before. Now, <laughs> of course, the protest contended that this was a problem and, and they, they accepted that the procedure was correct. How problematic is this, Mark? They've, they've kind of argued that once they press the button to say safety car in this lap, which is in 48.13, the next regulation, that meant the safety car was coming in this lap. Yeah. Um, they have. I can see the motivation for doing what they've done. They, they want to get it underway and uh, some live racing before the... Uh, that's, that's a laudable thing. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing <laughs> wrong with wanting to get but the cars out of the way and get a race on. Not, the regulations don't actually allow you to do it under these circumstances, except... There's a regulation that can be interpreted as saying ignore the previous regulation, which is what, they, what they've done. They've said that once that um, button has been pressed, that the safety car's coming in, the, the race has to get underway. But who pressed the button? It was the same people. So, <laughs> you know, it's, they've, they've got themselves into a bit of a knot, not for the first time, with regulations. And um, it's just a scenario nobody thought of before. And it didn't fit with the desire to... Um, to, to have the race end in, in, under, under a green flag. Well, it was always clear that when Latifi put it in the wall pretty late on, he'd had a wide moment while battling with Mick Schumacher, and he blamed that for his moment in, in turn 13, that it, it was quite tight in terms of getting a green flag finished, but we knew they'd want to. They didn't throw a red flag. That would have been an elegant way around it. Now, you can argue Mas Michael Massey, the race director, has played it straight by not throwing a, a red flag for competition reasons, if you want to put it that way, because there was no need for a barrier repair. Probably it would have been the pragmatic thing to do, say, well, we'll clear up the debris, make sure nobody's going to get a puncher and, and then have a standing restart or whatever for a few laps. Would have been slightly contrived in that regard, but a, a clean enough finish. He didn't do that, and then obviously we got into this, this process. Now, Scott, there is this intent to appeal from Mercedes. They've got 72 hours from the moment they lodge that intent to decide whether to go ahead with it. Now, just as a caveat, I don't think there's any chance this result's going to change. I don't think there's any chance... Max Verstappen, any realistic chance Max Verstappen won't be world champion. But 
there are big problems here, and Mercedes has got a, has got a case that race control got this spectacularly wrong, haven't they? The fact that the FIA stewards in their verdict did seem to be kind of reaching for a very unsatisfactory conclusion uh, or explanation. The explanation, as Mark was explaining, basically being, well, we did it. So that was basically the, that was basically the extent of it. Um, so I think the fact that it wasn't the most, um, uh, the strongest of explanations gives them some ground to go with, uh, if they go through with the appeal, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it will necessarily change anything. I just think they've got... It, it's not a frivolous protest in the first place. It's not spurious or anything like that. It's legitimate. We can all see that there is a... The, the FIA stewards have even admitted that one of the regulations wasn't um, wasn't followed fully. So I think it just depends what Mercedes decide is best to do now because ultimately there is a little bit of a... There is a little bit of a consideration for them to make in that there's going to be a lot of blowback if they do go through with an appeal. I feel like it was legitimate enough to protest and everyone saw what happened and had pretty strong opinions on it. So lodging the protest, I don't think, causes them any massive kickback in terms of a PR problem. But then appealing it and dragging the whole thing out more, I feel like is a little bit more for them to consider. So they are probably better off thinking, okay, well, we've got a bit of leverage here with our strong position. What might we want from the FIA to... You know, consider dropping the the appeal or, or not going through with the appeal. I think as well the, the point that should be made is that we cannot change the sport, cannot change the outcome of the world championship. Now it, it, it's done, and it, do, do you know the? Yes, we understand why um, Mercedes is upset and is appealing, but um, it would be a nonsense to have the race to declare the world champion and then to say, oh, actually, it's not him, it's him. It, it, it would be, I, I think that's a non-starter and I don't think we will see that. But I think if it, it, this is what's crazy about this situation is when we were all talking pre-weekend, you know, what if this happens and it ends in a collision? What if it's Max driving into Lewis, Lewis driving into Max that decides it? And I, I don't want to speak on behalf of you two, but it kind of felt like the consensus going into the weekend was if one of the drivers did something to alter the outcome of the championship, then a points deduction would actually not be the, the worst thing in the world, which would change the result of the championship post-race. But that's how bizarre this situation is. We all sort of reached that consensus pre-event, and here we are basically saying that something so ridiculous has happened that you kind of can't change it after the, week, after the weekend. I agree that it's... I, I can totally see why Mercedes and, and Lewis will feel, feel aggrieved by this, but... I, I think it would be a, an enormous, enormous thing for them to go as far as changing it now. That's why it's such a failure of race control when push comes to shove. Now, Michael Massey's got a very difficult job. Being race director in Formula 1 is not easy, but it wasn't well executed. And it's not Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes' fault that this happened. It's not, it's not, it's not Max Verstappen and Red Bull's fault this happened. They had a situation that presented itself, and they did what they were meant to do. Verstappen pulled that pass at turn six, won the World Championship. That's what he's here for. But it is still a mess. And it's just uh, it's a certain irony that it was nothing to do with either of the, uh, the competing teams. What the FIA will want to happen now is they will want Mercedes in, I don't know, 48 hours or so to issue a statement saying, well, we're not happy with what happened. We're going to withdraw our... Uh, well, we're not going to proceed with our appeal for the good of the sport. This happened in the, the Porsche GTE World Championship case when Alessandro Pierre Guidi rear-ended 
uh, uh, the Porsche driver Christensen at the, towards the end of, of the Bahrain race. That decided the, the GTE uh, championship. They did withdraw their appeal in the end, even though they had a had a reasonable case. And that was another bit of a mess with uh, various other other problems uh, arising. So that's the thing that the FIA will want to happen. So yeah, it's a question of how can they convince Mercedes to, to do that. But you can't, you can't blame Mercedes for being furious. It's just a shame that what has been such an amazing finish has been overshadowed and Max Verstappen's first world championship has been overshadowed. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. The ultimate conclusion here will be that Mercedes have to come out and say we don't like it, but we have to go along with it. But with Verstappen, it's the thing that I feel sorry for. As as in addition to Hamilton, because he did drive fantastically well, he was dominating, he was so comfortably on course for his eighth world championship, and it these this incredible late twist worked in his favour in 2008. It it worked against him here, but. We had, for a period after the race, a question mark over the identity of the world champion. Even now, there's the, when there is this tiny percentage chance of, a, of an appeal and it changing, there's still a question mark. And there will be people who, for years to come, will look back and say, yeah, oh, that Verstappen title was only because of this. And it puts such an unnecessary cloud over Max's title. And I hope that passes because he has been phenomenal this season. He is such a worthy champion. He doesn't deserve this to be questioned. The integrity of his success does not deserve to be questioned. No, neither drivers would, because they've both been absolutely mega this year. And Max is absolutely deserving of, of this triumph. It didn't come the way that he would have expected or wanted or anyone would. And it's just a shame that this has given people the opportunity to then presumably target or attack and question the validity of what Max has done. Yeah, absolutely. And for me... The big discussion point here is not about should we change the result of the championship and has it debased the world championship or whatever. It's about what can be done to get these races run properly. I've had reservations about the way they've been run recently with some of the stewarding decisions, some of the race control decisions. And we should say Michael Massey is not the stewards. That's an important distinction. He sometimes has to defend decisions he's not made that he might not necessarily personally agree with. But this needs to be sorted out. They've lost control of it recently. I've said this before. And what happened here is, is the natural conclusion of this general loss of control. It's just it's manifested itself in a completely unexpected way rather than in terms of, a, of an on-track incident. So, yeah, this one's going to run on for a little bit. Keep an eye out on the, on the race website because there will be some news about whether they're pressing on with this appeal. And I think I said on, the, on our previous podcast, previewing the title fight, we'll spend Christmas Day in Place de la Concorde. So uh, there's still a chance we might get our... Uh, our trip to Paris for that. So let's let's see what happens. My hunch is it won't go to the Court of Appeal. The really interesting question is how the FIA facilitates that and what Mercedes will accept. So let's see. We've got some more controversy, Mark. First lap, Hamilton took the lead at the start. Slightly slow start from Verstappen. Just just seemed just not a good response time. Slightly surprising. Verstappen then made that dive up the inside into turn six. Hamilton took to the runoff, stayed ahead probably built a bit more of a lead than he had, but despite Red Bull's complaints, no action was taken. So what did you make of that pass and the refusal of the stewards to get involved? Yeah, it was um, the Lewis on the, the medium tyres, which uh, take a, usually a good couple of laps to get fully up to temperature, and Max on the, the softs, um, which come in much quicker and come in quicker on the Red Bull anyway. So, yeah, as they reach that, 
breaking zone. He'd, um, he'd, he'd just got more grip under him, and he just... Lewis didn't really uh, take a very defensive line there. Um, if you do take a defensive line there, you tend to be at a disadvantage down the following straight. So he wasn't very tight in. That left um, a, a sort of a gap down the inside, which is Max being Max, just threw the car into and stood on the brakes, and he had the grip there beneath him, and then ran out using the full width of the, the circuit, and Lewis had to turn sharp right to avoid contact and thereby go on the escape road. And so he rejoined, um, still still leading, uh, with Max saying, well, he's got to give that place back. But the, um, the stewards felt that he hadn't actually taken the place yet. It was, it was still you know, not, not undecided, and that Lewis had left the track not, not to gain an advantage, but to vo- avoid an accident. So they asked him to um, lose the time advantage of taking the shortcut, but not to surrender the position. Yeah, it was an interesting one, because the, the move was absolutely on. Yeah, it was a lunge, but lunges are acceptable. I thought Max had almost got to the point where he'd, he'd completed what I call a kind of block pass, where if you get through enough with that lunge and you're basically in the way, rather than kind of edging a car that's alongside you out, you've kind of made that pass. And it would have been a very different move if there had been gravel there or a wall or whatever. So it's a difficult one. I, I, I wouldn't really like to have seen the positions reversed because of that. That would have seemed a little bit strong. But at the same time, I do think Hamilton played it quite intelligently, actually. He realised what he could do. And that's his job. That's not a criticism at all. So Max was right to make the move. Lewis Hamilton played it quite intelligently to stay ahead. Push comes to shove, it's just two very, very good intelligent drivers doing doing the right thing. What did you make of it, Scott? I wondered, actually, if Lewis had um, decided, he might not have consciously decided it, but he definitely benefited from what I think was a precedent that was effectively set at Interlagos, which is that the car defending the position, regardless of what side of the track they're defending, goes off track to keep the position, it's okay, crack on. Because the difference between Lewis doing this and what Max did in Saudi Arabia, for example, when he was told to give the position back, was that Max was attacking on the outside into the first corner in Saudi Arabia, then carried, I would say, carried too much speed in. He carried enough speed in, so he was right on the edge of the track going into the corner. Lewis showed him wide. Max took to the runoff, completed the pass off track, got ahead, and then was told, now you have to give that back. But that was different because Max was the aggressor in that situation, went off track to complete the pass, not to keep the position. Into Lagos, when Max was on the inside, then went off into the runoff, they both they both ended up going off. Max kept the position because he was defending and there was no action. So I actually think there was a little bit of similarity there with what happened at, at Into Lagos. So it was... It, I, I think your position is absolutely correct, Ed. It's one of those where you're like... I don't really think any like Max has necessarily done anything wrong there, but neither has Lewis. I wouldn't have swapped them. The bit that really didn't make sense to me was I didn't really see how Lewis had forfeited the time he gained in, in, in that situation, but so be it. The main thing is, there was a point during this Grand Prix, I can remember thinking, oh, this is quite an unsatisfactory way for the title to end, just because there was that controversy at the beginning. How little I knew that deciding the title feels like a much, much easier <laughs> situation than the one we were eventually faced with. Yeah, and that turn one thing, which was huge at the time and seemed like it was going to be the story of the race, that's going to be like the third footnote, isn't it? It's sort of just something that happened and might have been relevant. But uh, yeah, just a, another racing moment between them. And yeah, it, the, the funny thing is, had they been the other way around, you could say, 
had Verstappen been leading, maybe Hamilton would have won the race in similar fashion to Verstappen. It wouldn't have quite worked like that because of the pace difference between them, so the race would have played out a little bit differently. Well, Mark, now we've talked about the big flashpoints, we can look at the bulk of the race that happened in between them. Hamilton on medium was pulled away from Verstappen on the soft in the first stint, but there was some crucial strategic decisions to follow. So can you just talk us through how things played out to take us up to the point Latifi crashed to cause that remarkable ending? Because we had a, a couple of safety cars, one virtual, one real. Yeah, as you said, the, the um, Max's start wasn't very good. It just didn't, wasn't, um, didn't get much traction, even though he was on the, the softer tyre. So Lewis was straight in the lead. And unlike Q3 yesterday, the Mercedes was just much the faster car and Lewis was edging out two or three tens pretty much at will. Um, I think, you know, if you look back to yesterday with Red Bull on the, the skinny wing to avoid the, um, the, the, the understeer hazard that it's, uh, it can get into on a, on a track that's uh, gripping up, as this place does as, as the track gets cooler, um, it, it, it was a setup that puts a limitation on your, your rear tyres, and rear tyre temperatures are the, the limitation here. And Mercedes had got a car which wasn't quite as responsive over a, over a lap and you, know, you couldn't dance with it as well as Max did. And that was a phenomenal pull lap, by the way. That was the, the lap he was about to do at Saudi, but without the crash, it was a fantastic lap. Um, but um, the Mercedes, had, you know, while running a much bigger wing, could look after its tyres in that tricky last um, sector three, which is where we, which was the bit of the track that usually does the damage. It usually knocks those temperatures up. So um, we're about eight or nine laps in the race, and Lewis just radioed in. He said, I'm a tyre temps, and I said, all good, everything's fine. And just at the, about the same time, Max was saying, uh, these tyres are starting to go away. And as just as that happened, Lewis just then pummeled with like fastest lap. I think he did four consecutive fastest laps of the race and just really built up a big margin by that time on Max. Um, so yeah, at that point, they just brought Max in as soon as they practically could. Um, he got out, but just behind Carlos Sainz's uh, fourth place, Ferrari. Lewis came in the lap after and just, just cleared the Ferrari. So that delayed Max even further. It took a few laps to get past it. And Lewis was out to like eight, nine second lead by that time. Um, then there was, a, um, there was a VSC for um, Giovinazzi's broken down Alpha. And uh, that um, gave Mercedes the, the first of its um, difficult decisions on the pit wall because um, although he had a comfortable leader wasn't comfortable enough to be able to come in um, change tires and get back out still leading if because whatever they did Max was going to do the opposite that was obvious so they had to keep Lewis out there in the full knowledge that Max was probably going to take advantage of the, the VSC to put some new tires on which he did put a fresh set of hards on um, that still left them you know when one once the VSC was cleared it still left them a long way behind it was like 16 seconds or something so Closer than he would have been if he'd pitted under normal conditions, but it's still a long way behind. And Lewis was a bit worried. He says, has he got new tyres on? He got, they said, yeah, but he's going to have to catch you at eight-tenths a lap to get anywhere near you by the end, so don't worry. And he didn't. He didn't get anywhere near eight-tenths a lap. I think his first lap might have been, you know, his out lap might have been that, that, that much quicker. But um, the... Subsequently, they, he was like six tenths and then four tenths and then a couple of tenths a lap. And it wasn't, he wasn't going to be anywhere near him. 
And then, um, yeah, that was, that was that. He was 11 seconds in the lead. There were six laps to go. Uh, it was going to be a comfortable victory. And then the world went crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. How about, how about the role that Sergio Perez played, Scott? There was this brief period where Perez obviously stayed out on the softs. Hamilton caught him. And at that point, I think Hamilton was nine seconds clear of Verstappen. And by the time... Hamilton had cleared Perez. That gap was down to just over a second. It was amazing. Sergio Perez, on the evidence of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, is the greatest racing driver on the grid. Just absolutely amazing. When when he got that call and said, um, obviously with the radio message got played out a little bit late, but it was basically right. You, you've got to back him up. He's two seconds behind. This is your part. And you're like, all right. Well, I know what's going to happen here. It's going to be DRS. Blast pass, Checo holds him up for one corner, Max, and it's just like, good job, Checo, that was fantastic, what a waste of time. And then, yeah, Lewis gets him, nails him, gets it done, you think, all right, there you go, it's done. Nope, Checo comes right back, and then you think, okay, oh, he's held him up like a little bit longer, so that's it, he's, he's done a great job here, two, three corners, held him up, and it's like, hey, he's, he's still going, now he's, oh, the cheeky so-and-so now he's backing off here you can see he's holding up and you just then you see the lap time as they cross the finish line and even though that started what sort of third of the way into the lap you still cost like six seconds on that one lap alone then the next lap it was like another two or three seconds and all of a sudden max is like what one and a half seconds behind lewis he's radioing just like the checo's a legend and then i think gp was like yeah he's an animal or something it was just it was one of those where I think I turned to you at one point when it was happening, thinking, oh, has he sort of crossed the line a little bit there? Because there's one moment where like he's properly checking up through the corner. And then I just think, oh, he hasn't done anything like so erratic that it's, it's genuinely dangerous. Lewis made the complaint, of course, he, of course he's going to in that, in that situation. He wants the FAA to pay attention. But I thought it was all just about within reason. And it was just a lap and a half of just a bit of theatre and genuinely good defensive driving, proper teamwork and yeah, just I thought it was on the balance hardly the most controversial thing we saw today. Yeah, I, I was fine with it. I did ask Checo after the race how, how pleased he was with what he did because he did do a perfect job. I imagine he's he surprised himself with how, how well he did that and let's not for one moment pretend if roles were reversed and it was Verstappen with Bottas they wouldn't have expected exactly the same thing from Bottas. Of course, Bottas would not have done the same thing because he's not an animal in that situation. Bottas is a very good racing driver, not perhaps ideally suited to that particular task, but that's yeah, all's fair is, uh, is what that comes down to. One last question, Mark, about this is, was it a mistake of Mercedes not to pit Hamilton under that Latifi safety car? The same thing applies. It was, they, they would have um, lost track position. Um, so, you know, whatever they did would have been wrong, <laughs> um, as it turned out. So they, they were just, that, that, that safety car just put them in an impossible position once, you know, in hindsight, once there was a restart, it was, it was impossible to defend it. You've also got the problem of, had they done that and seeded the track position, there was still at that stage a very real possibility the race wouldn't restart. Yeah. Can you imagine what everyone would be saying about James Wells and his strategy team if he'd pitted, lost the lead, and the race never happened again. So I think they were snookered there, really. It's very easy to be critical of that, but it, they played it right. Red Bull played it right. It's just two cars in different situations. That's what dictated the uh, the outcome. So, yeah, just astonishing the way these things happened and the way they, 
they played out because this race for so long looked like it was just heading to a straightforward conclusion and of course then the, 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 the madness uh, happened but Scott we've got to talk a little bit about Max Verstappen as world champion I know you've uh, you talked him up as a deserving champion quite rightly so a championship's won over 22 races in fact, there have been 25 races this year if you count the sprint races. It's not just today. Yes, this was the, the clincher, but he has had a remarkable season. He has looked every bit the world champion throughout this year, hasn't he? We wondered how he'd react to being in a championship fight. He's absolutely stood up to it. And the fact that Lewis Hamilton has been operating at such a high level as well, he's beaten a genuinely great driver as well, just makes it all the more remarkable. Yeah, well, both Verstappen and Hamilton probably believe they're slightly quicker than the other, a slightly better driver than the other, and put together a slightly better season than, than the other, other did. Um, but Verstappen is justifiably very proud of the job that he has done and Rebel's done this season. Um, and I just think if you look at the fact, just judge, judge on how they've absolutely dominated this year. So this was what their, was this their 14th? 14th 1-2 in 22 races, which is pretty ridiculous. So let's judge how many times they've finished outside the top two. For Verstappen, I think it's four. Azerbaijan, Britain, Hungary, and Italy. And three of those were obviously, um, three of those were contact-related. Um, two with Hamilton, one when he was absolutely just completely innocent in, in Hungary, and one was the tyre failure in Baku. But Hamilton's had five outside the top two. He's had Monaco, where Mercedes struggled, the brake error at the restart in Azerbaijan, uh, finishing fourth in Austria, the collision with Verstappen in Italy, and finishing fifth in Turkey after having a grid penalty. So there's a mix of reasons why Hamilton's had some of these dips, whereas Verstappen's, really, you can't, um, you can't hold too many of those against him. And, and his point is basically, is, is really simple, because historical wisdom dictates that titles are won on the champion's bad days, and when I interviewed Verstappen in Brazil, just reflecting on the season as a whole, he said, to be honest, I don't think I really have bad days. That's the good thing. I think I'm always on it. And that's always what I've been trying to achieve, to not have bad days. I don't feel like any race I've done this season was a bad day. I think that's really important. You can't really have a lot of them. And do you know what? I think he's right. I know that there have been times where you can question his conduct. You can question the way he's gone about some racing, particularly in the final part of the the season, whether he's always done the best for himself, it's not just a sporting thing, or whether he's been entirely fair, it's has he done everything that benefited him. I think 99% of the time he has. I think he's put together an absolutely fantastic season, been relentlessly consistent. The peaks have been astonishingly good as well. So I just don't think you can question, this is what I was saying earlier, you just can't question his um, integrity or worth as a world champion. He has been a world champion caliber driver this year. Ultimately, both drivers have had stunningly good seasons. I've bored you, Scott, this last week or two because I keep saying that it's just the nature of sport. There's two people going at it. One will win, one will lose. That's just the, the kind of artificial construct of sport. And it was never necessarily going to be indicative of one's, one's a triumphant, all-conquering hero, the other one's terrible. These were both really good drivers. Either driver could have won this world championship. All manner of little swings over the year. You can start talking about luck, you can talk about mistakes, circumstances, etc., etc., conditions. But it was just a brilliant prize fight all the way through with those two knocking lumps out of each other. And that's actually what I've enjoyed more than anything. I said right at the start of the season, I wanted to go down to the last race. And I think I'd requested it goes down to the last lap or maybe last corner a few times. So I pretty much got what I was 
asking for. And actually, despite the fact that people love to draw conclusions about who we favour, I'm just pleased that it was, even if it was controversial, that it did go down very much to the to the wire. I think it's just brilliant. But but Mark Max Verstappen, he hasn't got the number of wins that Lewis Hamilton has. He hasn't got the number of world championships yet. But he's absolutely Hamilton's equal in terms of being a driver of that highest caliber in the in the great bracket. Yeah, I mean it's that's just a little snapshot in time. The the numbers aren't they? Because um, Max is very early in his career, and his first obviously the first year he's had a, a title caliber of, um, of of car, and he makes the point. And it 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 sounds a little bit cocky, but I don't think it's unrealistic. He he makes the point that if I was in a title contending car in 2015 in my rookie season, I would have fought for the title. It's just quite simple to him. He just he would have, and I, th- I think he would have just as Lewis did. And just I think that caliber of driver is is already it arrives capable of fighting for a world championship. Yeah, they get better as they get more experience, sure, but I don't think they get intrinsically faster. Um, and he's it, it, just of that caliber. He's just a, a one of the one of the greats in the sports history already. It's, it's just obvious, and it sometimes takes a while for that status to be accepted. But that's unrelated to the reality. The reality is that's the level they're operating at. And if the public takes a few years to catch up to that reality, well, that's fine, but that is the reality. Well, it's one of those things that if you to look back at, let's take a famous example, Senna in 88, if you described him as a great driver before he clinched that first championship, well, he was, wasn't he? He was. Senna in 85 was, Senna in 84 was. It's, it's, just, just, it's just not dignified by yeah, yeah. all the, the, the time and the, the, the massive yeah. uh, number of wins. Uh, Scott, we do have to talk a little bit about Lewis Hamilton. I thought he actually, despite the fact that it was such a kick in the teeth, what happened, and he was unlucky on, on, on this occasion because he did have the championship almost in his pocket. I think he, he did quite well after the, after the race to behave with reasonable... Uh, reasonable dignity, didn't he? Congratulated for Stappen, and I think that reflects very well on him. Well, what were we saying a few races ago, it looked like the worry was it was getting to the point it was so bitter off track, especially between the two teams, but also the drivers, it became clear that something had changed in their dynamic over the season. Max even said uh, just a few days ago here in Abu Dhabi that his opinion of Lewis and Mercedes has changed this year, and he felt the need to stress, and not in a and not in a positive way, which was kind of like thanks, Max. Was worried he was saying I suddenly love them, um, but it has become a bit more. It's been a bit toxic at times, so we would worry. In you know, is the loser going to be able to stand up, turn to the winner, and shake their hand and say congratulations at the end of all this? Because it was starting to get a little bit of you know, they're not going to deserve it, I deserve it, all of this. There was none of that. Lewis, I thought, was very, very gracious. And I know that there will be some people who clocked that he wasn't in the post-race press conference and didn't do, like, the TV or anything like that. That wasn't, as far as I understand it, that was not Lewis's decision. That wasn't Lewis ignoring everybody or throwing a strop or anything like that. He wasn't there. And I believe it was just, uh, it was decided upon around the fact that Mercedes were obviously going to be lodging these protests. It wouldn't have been right for him to to go up there. I don't think any of that was his decision. When he faced up to the cameras, I thought he handled it, like I said, with with very good grace. I thought he was, I, I think I thought he was a good loser. He, he he certainly wasn't a sore loser. And he did congratulate Verstappen, and he did say what a fantastic job he'd done. And of course, as always, we've had a few questions from the race members club. There was one incidental question that's worth tidying up from Sean Johnson who says why did Red Bull pit Perez off the podium and in fact Perez did say after the race that his engine was very marginal they were quite worried about it he was in third place 
very, very simple pragmatism. The last thing Red Bull wanted was to be gearing up for a one-lap green flag shootout and then have their other car parked by the side of the track, extending the safety car period. So that was just a, a curiosity uh, there. So good to, uh, good to clear that one up. Well, there were other drivers in the race, Mark, 17 of them to be precise. Nikita Mazepin, of course, was absent as he tested positive for COVID-19. But Carlos Sainz, third place, that's given him, third, that's given him fifth in the championship, which I know we, we mocked that particular battle and said only the one who gets it will do it. But first season with Ferrari, he said that was his, his best race with Ferrari. Crown's a really good season for him, doesn't it? It does, and he started the weekend off in a really difficult place. The car was just not in a happy place for him. Um, he spent all of um, the first practice session trying to sort it out, um, then gradually made progress from there, then out-qualified Leclerc, uh, which I think is the uh, third time in the last four races, is it? Something like that? Which, you know, to, that's, that's saying something to, to, to be able to out-qualify that guy. And then... And, and Leclerc was really pushing on on his final qualifying lap. He just yeah. over... Overcooked the tyres and yeah. lost it in the last set. Of yeah, and, and Carlos is that. It's in those sort of situations where you got to finally judge um, the tyre situations and, and, and dynamics rather than just sort of getting in there and, and, and having the ride. He's in those situations where you got to think a little bit. He's that's he can, we can really pull some special laps out. Um, and yeah, great, fantastic. Um, he's. He's done the job where we, 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 we knew, not maybe the whole world didn't know, but we, we, I mean, we talked about him this time last year. We knew just how good Carlos Sainz was. And we knew that he wasn't going to be a number two, and he's not. And um, it's, you know, he's, 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 made, he's, he's definitely got faster as, a, as a, the season's gone on. He's got a bit more tuned into the car. And I'd say probably the last five or six race, races, he's been really, really strong. Yeah, great driver lineup they've got there in Sainz and, and Leclerc. And yeah, Sainz has good reason to feel very happy with the way the season's ended. Another driver, Scott, who's got good reason to be happy with his end of the season is Yuki Tsunoda. We've talked endlessly about his travails, but he signed off with a career-best fourth place, past Valtteri Bottas on the last lap. What did you make of not just his drive, but also the trajectory at the end of the season for him? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just be honest and not talk too much about his drive because I basically noticed he'd finished fourth in that race when he told me in the mix zone. Um, it was just one of those where like he's so fixated on the front, it was all that mattered in, in, in that moment. What I would say is that the last few races and the reason this result is so important to him is that he has made such a good step in qualifying and he has. He was, I was talking to him earlier this weekend and he was telling me that his confidence which he's been slowly rebuilding and, and felt had got to a good level the last few races, which is why he's been leaning on the car properly, feeling he's only you know a couple of percent away from really getting the most out of it. He said this was the first weekend he's had more confidence than he had in his uh, debut in, in Bahrain. I mean, that's, that's a huge step. You would expect someone's rookie season, I don't know, to be at its lowest point at the first race and then build from there. Yuki's only just got to the point where he's exceeded the confidence he had back on his debut which I think is pretty pretty significant um but despite this little breakthrough I don't know little breakthrough is too patronizing despite the progress he has made on the qualifying front the last few events hasn't really been met with a proper result on a Sunday it's still just been like little poor execution here bad starts bad first laps struggling with tires whatever it is just not quite clean clumsy collisions like the one we saw in Saudi Arabia but this was just a, a race that he was really proud of. He feels that this was easily his most complete performance in 
in Formula One. So I knew that he was featuring somewhere very, very, very competently inside the points, but it was a little bit like signs cropping up on the podium. It was, I was so fixated on the top two. I was just like, and where's everybody else? Oh my, I did not realise that was the top ten. It was a good performance from Sonoda. He was running near the sharp end throughout the race. Yeah, he had a little bit of luck, Norris's puncher, Perez's retirement, being able to pass Bottas thanks to getting uh, getting the, the fresh tyres towards the end. But yeah, a genuinely good drive. Uh, Pierre Gasly came through to fifth. He had quite a tricky weekend. He was struggling just for general grip throughout, eliminating Q2, but he was very pleased to have salvaged a, a fifth place. Mark, a final visit to Valtteri Bottas' sympathy corner. I'm not sure whether, whether it'll survive into the Alfa Romeo days. We'll take a view on that next year, but... He finished a rather subdued sixth on his Mercedes Swan Song, had utterly no impact on the uh, fight for the Drivers' Championship, but he did contribute to the fifth consecutive Constructors' title on his watch, as it were, since he's been at the team. Had a bit of bad luck, lost those places to the AlphaTauris on the last lap, but it was a rather disappointing way to sign off before heading off into the sunset, or the Swiss sunset. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get the impression he was... Um giving a lot of himself to this weekend. I feel it was just a, a box to be ticked. And uh, he's already looking ahead to next season, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a fair one. He, had, he said he had quite a soft setup, which is what cost him in qualifying. And then, yeah, the race didn't really uh, go well for him. Scott Lando Norris, as we mentioned, another puncher for him while running fifth. That cost him his shot at fifth in the championship. He's had a massively unlucky run at the end of the season, hasn't he? But still, he's performing strongly and turned in a mega qualifying lap too. Yeah, the way the season's gone is just making him making him look a bit worse than he's been. It's making it look like his year's tailed off and it has in points but not really in performance. So he was kind of making light of it after the race, just sort of shrugging it off and saying nothing you can do in that situation. He knows that he put in a, a really good qualifying lap. Um, okay, um, he'd slipped back from that position um, at the race but he was still on course for a, for a very good result. It's just... Things just aren't quite in alignment for him at this part of the year. But I wouldn't let that trick you into thinking that his performances have actually dipped because I think he's still been at a very high level, as evidenced by the fact that he was just, a, yet again, just a really big step ahead of Ricardo, Daniel Ricardo, this entire weekend. Yeah, massively so. And yeah, just just unfortunate for Norris that these things keep uh, keep going wrong. In terms of the back end of the season, it's only really hitting science at the start of Interlagos that was... Absolutely an error on, on his part. Charles Leclerc got the final point. He had a slightly weird race. He had that strange off in the sweeps uh, that led to him dropping behind Sonoda. Then he got back past him and then he did a two-stop strategy. It didn't really work out for him. So slightly subdued way to end a good season for him. We should briefly mention Kimi Raikkonen. What's that? 349 F1 starts. I'm not sure this will get into his top 300 mark, but... <laughs> a little bit of a shame that he had that problem with the brakes and ended up in the wall through no fault of his own and then trudging back to the pits to, to retire. Yeah, um, and it, it, it's a momentous occasion, really, but it was rather overshadowed. It was, um, you know, a bit part of the you know, cameo at the back of the grid. A shame that it was just such a, a sort of walk-on part of his, his, last, his, his last ever Grand Prix. But, uh, yeah, um, lovely guy. Sad to see him go, but it was time. Yeah, very much so. I, I do kind of like the way he's done things. He seems to have done it. It works well for him. He's won a world championship as well, so he's not exactly uh, underachieved, even though there's that sort of nagging feeling that there was a bit more in him, but what a career still. Yeah, he's done everything on his own terms. I mean, this, you know, could he have given more of himself and been more focused on you know, eliminating every weakness from his game? Yeah, I'm sure he could, but that, he wouldn't have had as nice a time. So he's just, he's always ever just 
pleased himself, and you know, he's, he's just got um, someone that happens to be very, very good at um, out driving a race car, and um, he's had a, a great career and a nice life. Yeah, and hopefully, yeah, and hopefully he enjoys his F1 retirement. I'm sure he'll be doing plenty of things. I don't think he'll be turning up uh, as a TV pundit anytime soon, but you never know. Sometimes people do, but uh, yeah, a shame he couldn't have had much of an impact on his final F1 start. But overall, Scott, the final reckoning acrimonious, controversial, dramatic, memorable, spectacular, and that's just me describing you, but no, uh, this final race, people will say it'll be bad for F1, and there is a little bit of the whole thing of making a bit of a show of it is is a little bit of of a concern, but ultimately, this season's certainly been very good for Formula One, and even the conclusion, there's an element of there's no such thing as bad news, is that the eyes of the world have been on F1 this weekend. Yes, and ultimately we still do have a worthy champion. I think if this had ended up in a situation where someone nobody felt merited the title, it would have been a lot, a lot more controversial. Um, as it is, it's certainly a race. I think we're both we're we're, we're all probably going to reflect on in years to come and be like, yeah, I was there for that. That was absolutely mad. Um, I I can only reiterate sort of what I said earlier that you. Your, your heart goes out to Lewis in that situation. I, I can't imagine like what that feeling's like, what's going through your head, how you then try and gather your thoughts, contest the the restart. The way he did as well, I thought that was actually a really, really like good effort to keep Max behind him and then try and get back past. I just did not think the the tyres would be there at all to allow him to do that. So huge commiserations to, to him and, and Mercedes, but simultaneously massive congratulations to Verstappen and Red Bull. Like we said, Max has been mega this year. They needed the luck today, uh, but they'll argue that there were plenty of times this year the luck wasn't with them and it cropped up in the winner-takes-all finale, but still only one race of, of 22. Zero-sum game in the moment, but not over the balance of an entire season. So, yeah, it's one of those where you have to re- hopefully reflect on it for the better sporting reasons in the years to come. And like I said, there's no cloud or question mark over the validity of Max's title. Yeah, very very much so. Both drives have been absolutely astonishing. And yeah, in terms of how memorable it was, it's up. It's one of three races that I've been at that it's up there with. Interlagos 2008, that amazing finale. I happened to be in the McLaren garage for a feature for Autosport that was meant to be a regulation if you close out the championship. Did that atmosphere piece. So I was right in the thick of that. And then Le Mans... Uh, it was 2016, wasn't it, Scott? We were there when, oh, when yeah, the we Toyota stopped in front of yeah, us. At the end of the penultimate lap, they were just about to win Le Mans for the first time, Toyota, and just absolutely unbelievable. And then this again. So it just shows what motorsport can produce, doesn't it, Mark? And while there's an element of it being far too silly, it just shows it just shows what F1 can produce this whole season and this amazing finale. Yeah, it's really had the spotlight on it and this, this Netflix has taken off and it's got a whole new generation of, of followers and um, yeah, they'll, they'll be thinking that um, this, if, if it's always like this and it's not. It's been a, an extraordinary year and um, I think it might be a while before we see another one uh, quite so dramatic. Yeah, it's going to be uh, some time, but let's hope the new regulations next year do produce something vaguely similar to it, even if it can't be quite as as ridiculous. Well, thanks to Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes for your insight. Congratulations to Max Verstappen on winning your first world championship, and it must do better for the FIA in race control. There's lots more to read on the race, with the controversy sure to run and run. Make sure you head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen, as there's loads to 
work through there. And also check out our YouTube channel and other podcasts from the race. The F1 season may be over, but there's still a few chapters to be written, so we'll be back soon with the latest from the ongoing legal battles and also with a look back at what has been a thrilling season, even if it has ended in controversy. Controversy.